Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly roundup of all things important in the hotel investment space, brought to you by the editorial team at Hotel Analyst. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, then by all means, move along to hotelanalyst.co.uk to find out more about what we get up to. Uh, And if you'd like to try a subscription, take a look on the website. Before we start, let's introduce, on my right, Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst, and my name is Chris Bowne, I am the Editor of Hotel Analyst. And we're starting this week with a conversation about Matters Green. Um, It seems that uh, ESG, Matters ESG, have risen up the agenda while everyone's been locked down, pondering whether they should be broadening their carbon footprint by going back to commuting to work again. Um, and it's a bit more focus also because we've had things such as the UK government uh, setting a date when uh, the, they'll we'll no longer be able to buy petrol or diesel cars. The direction of travel is very clear. Um, so there are those in the hotel space are trying to improve the carbon footprint of the hotel sector, which is one of, I think, only three business sectors whose carbon intensity has actually got worse in the last 20 years. Uh, and there's various things to tackle. Uh, I've been speaking recently with several people who are kind of active in this space, um, and uh, one of those being Whitbread. Uh, And there's a couple of things to sort of think about, really, um, that I'm going to focus on. First of all is funding, and green bonds are very much a thing and a very good way of raising funds. Uh, Whitbread recently uh, raised uh, over £550 million with two tranches of green bonds and they'll be using that those funds for very specific purposes which are all measured and accounted for but uh, largely building more energy efficient buildings and doing other things to improve the uh, energy efficiency and reduce the carbon intensity of their estate. There's actually quite a strong demand for uh, responsible lending, green loans, green bonds. Uh, HSBC have got very big into the green loans marketplace. And in fact, the uh, the Whitbread uh, green bond issue was substantially oversubscribed uh, to the extent that uh, the cost of those bonds is probably going to be a bit cheaper than would have been a regular fundraise by using bonds for Whitbread. So, um, Green bonds, there seems to be a very much an investor-driven appetite for those. Um, then I, I've had a look this week a little more closely at how you can perhaps make some of your buildings more energy efficient. Um, it's an issue that's on everyone's minds because everyone's been staring at their costs this last year and wondering how to reduce them. Um, and I've been speaking to uh, the hostel operators A&O uh, in mainland Europe and again back to uh, the good folk at Whitbread uh, to talk about what they're doing at Premier Inn. Uh, and it's it's easy for the people who've kind of got a vertically integrated business because they can uh, work out how much they need to invest, what return they're going to get, and they can see the kind of uh, the the benefits trickle through. But it is a case of a little bit on many fronts, and it, it's, it's also the message that came back was it's about starting a journey, not something you just start and finish very neatly and tidily. Um, if you're going to head head towards zero carbon or a reduction in your carbon intensity, then Frankly, you've just got to set yourself a target and work out how you're going to do it along the way. But there are plenty of things to get your teeth into 
and it doesn't all need to cost you loads to get to those carbon reduction targets. Drew, I think you're going to think a little broader about the whole issue. I am. I, I just a quick comment on what you're saying there. I, th I think mm. the important thing is with this whole ESG piece, I think we're still in the very, very early days of it. It's only just becoming a thing um, mm. that's being taken seriously. Um, and the big challenge has been the lack of any meaningful metrics. Um, there are some beginning to sort of resolve themselves but uh, mm. it's still a challenge i think well yes because um, actually I, whitbread said that uh, their green bond the way that the green bond is kind of measured uh, the outputs of, of the green bond doesn't necessarily apply all that well to the hotel sector and they had to kind of you know wriggle wriggle a bit to get it get it to work get it through yeah. but but i mean the good piece about that bond is um there's it, it a meaningful carrot uh mm. we, we, historically we've we've looked at sort of green issues along the lines of well it's a consumer thing um it, it gives a sort of uh, feel good factor to consumers and it's never got much beyond the tent card in the room advising you that you don't have to <laughs> hand your towel in um but but this this you know the, it, it it's small but um significant lowering in cost mm. there's there's three audiences there's uh i mean the, the guys at whitbread were telling me how they were being quizzed by the investors who are buying the bonds or might be buying the bonds so there's a strong appetite from the the kind of institutional investment community for investing in things that are uh going to be good for the environment there's also, uh, they said that shareholders are starting to ask them more direct questions about what they're doing to improve matters. And then the third point is um, consumers are increasingly interested. And uh, Oliver Winter, A&O, told me that, you know, a lot of their business comes from school groups and school kids are asking them what they're doing to reduce yes, their carbon footprint. yes. Yeah, without being too cynical about it, I think that last bit, the the consumer bit, is usually just greenwashed. Okay, frankly, <laughs> you know they they you know have a good story to tell and tell it. But I think I think I mean there is a meaningful carrot now in terms of the lower cost of finance, and there's a meaningful stick in terms of the regulatory piece. Mm. Um, if if you if you don't get ESG right and you can be excluded um, from certain funds, etc. If that if if you get that wrong, so uh, I. Think think that this is becoming something which has very much moved up um, the agenda and ought to be you know ought to have a board level um, if it has most serious companies already have it at board level but it absolutely has to be um, and to be discussed and, um, and 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 you know think about the company's place um, within that whole ESG piece mm. um, because I think it's just going to grow and grow in importance, um, and, it, and it, it's having an understanding of it is absolutely critical. Now, the wider piece I'm going to waffle on about for for the next few moments <laughs> is um, there was a, a speech given by Adair Turner. I really liked the speech. Uh, I, I think what he was it reminded me. So back in back in 2006, Nicholas Stern did his big report, which I think was a watershed moment in terms of how seriously people thought about ESG stuff um, and um, Nicholas Stern's report um, looking at the economics of climate change um, change and it was an attempt however flawed and there's been a lot of criticisms criticisms of it um, it was an attempt to stick some numbers on the impact of climate change we wrote quite a lot about it actually in hotel analysts back 
been and i think it, you know it's been important and been a marker for um how it's escalated up agendas in government regulation and in and in in corporate outlook as well um Adair Turner I think takes the whole discussion on a bit further and looks beyond so it's kind of set we need to do something about carbon I think most people get that mm -hmm. and you know the UK is committed to net zero by 2050 that's less than three decades away um, it's remarkably close actually um, in in terms of how much effort's going to have to be put into that but Adair's looking beyond that even and saying well what how is this all going to play through and it is quite an interesting outlook actually because in, in a net zero carbon world what what does it, what what are you actually getting to well you're getting to a thing where um energy is has no environmental impact um and the production of energy and actually what adair's argument is that to get to at that point you're, you're using renewables and act, although they're heavy investment up front the actual net cost of production will come down lower than fossil fuel fuels on average so the cost of energy will get get lower and be zero in terms of the impact on the environment which is a quite an in, and if you think about that and think about how we're currently thinking about it so in 30 years time hopefully we're in a space where we don't actually care about things like green buildings for example mm. because we, we, we can just keep pumping out the heat as much as we like so it's quite an interesting sort of take <laughs> on that um i mean because i mean you know green buildings um are um you know we need to do things in terms of the next couple of decades to 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 radically reduce our consumption of any any energy which is produced with carbon emissions of which electricity is still unfortunately one of them although we're getting there in the uk and we're, we're making significant progress on that um but um we do need to do stuff but actually in 20 years or 30 years time when buildings are all um powered by uh, green energy and not carbon emitting energy um where's the relevance of that green building at that point um i don't see yeah, it yeah. um well, and, right. and, you know and that <laughs> and then there's a few issues with them right so yeah, they take forever to get warm and they're forever to get cold again um which isn't great in you know in a you've got big shifts between night and day and in the uk you know we've had in the last month we've had some days at 15 degrees some days at five degrees or even lower so it, it, it's quite a challenge in in with a green building which takes you know optimum performance requires a sort of more continental sort of shift in in temperature rises and falls um so it, there's a there's a good deal of degree plus um ventilation um just fling all those windows open and just get the breeze blasting through which as we've learned with covid is something which is all you know good for our health so it's quite interesting um to start looking at a world where we get to that point and i think it's a very good world from a hospitality um, and tourism perspective as well because adair is saying actually we can fix the flying issue in terms of you know whether it's going to be through hydrogen or whether there's going to be some sort of carbon offset type things or something something's going to well, it won't be carbon offset because um, that doesn't fix it but what will fix it is a um is hydrogen or some other uh, a way of flying which doesn't emit e emit carbon and he is confident and i think there is a he's right to be confident that within a few decades we will get to that get to that point so w we can fix um travel we can fix what he describes it as the inorganic stuff that's all fixable mm. um by 2050 we can get to that point 
more challenging is the in uh, i mean is the organic stuff um and in particular he's highlighting food production which is right at the core of hospitality but here i think hospitality can be a real leader with this and he's saying there are real challenges with food production because of the way it emits the you know cows um sheep etc um shall we say methane production <laughs> is is rather high um and um, you know, how we deal with that is going to be the next big challenge facing humanity. And he says in the short term, this is going to necess necessitate some shifts in terms of what we eat. We're going to have to have a more plant-based diet rather than um, um, so much meat and dairy. Um, um, but also in terms of how we produce food, that's going to have to shift from, and he talks about things like this vertical farming, a hydroponic um farming i mean i i get my um salad from this thing called underground um which is produced in disused um tunnels in the london underground system um and it's great and it, it's it, it's down there it uses very little uh water it, it doesn't need um any chemical spraying on it because it's produced in, in an isolated way so it, it doesn't come into contact with any nasties which require the use of pesticides or fungicides or all of that stuff um so and, and it, it, it of course is ultra fresh um so you know for for londoners it's great it's literally right on, you know on their doorstep for this and you know i've you, you go out to somewhere like Dubai and you see vast hangars with these with um, all powered by solar and you've got these um, giant vertical farms producing fresh tomatoes and uh, peaches and all this kind of stuff and it's gorgeous you've got this beautifully juicy fresh um, produce which uses no chemicals no um, no fertilizers and all of this stuff so it's very 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 eco-friendly and this is the future in terms of food production and he's saying in terms of meat well you know maybe we can start and that there are you know some very good plant-based alternatives coming along um, um, to meat but there's also you know maybe which I'm it sounds a bit grim so far but maybe it will be something which is the lab produced meat <laughs> but um he says certainly um you know we can start growing um insects to feed say fish and so you can have much more environmentally friendly fish um, um but beyond just food there is the textile issue as well so in terms of wool and uh, um and so forth and wood um and it's it's the you know vital importance of keeping ecosystems um sound um and not destroying them and that requires us to be less um voracious in our appetite for for all of these organic things so it's a shift if you like from this inorganic to organic as the focus um, um but, but i i think the divide is and I, I quite liked how he did this between what he called techno optimists which is where technologies is going to solve everything and the end of consumerism where you know we all have to be like greta thunberg and stop flying and all this respect and you know you could be sort of uh, elon musk is the personification i guess of the techno optimist You've, you know we can all just buy more expensive cars and um greta would have us all sort of staying at home and um eating cycling everywhere. vegetable pie or something yes yeah, cycling yeah. exactly um so but i think there's a slight combination in the two certainly on the inorganic side for the next couple of decades we're still going to have to keep reducing but there is this vision of this decarbonized energy production future
future which i think you know uh, is there and is sort of more on the techno optimist side you start looking at this this future and i think it's very interesting how we it's going to evolve and I, I think to the advantage of travel and tourism ultimately but we're going to have um, a very difficult few decades where there's going to be this growing pressure um, on doing something about travel and doing something about the inorganic um, element of um of how we're producing energy etc but and before and as it rises up the agenda it'll be the the, the organic stuff but i mean it, you know it's small steps always i mean uh, i went to a thing um hilton put on and uh, they were shoving 30 percent mushrooms into their burgers and they're actually really tasty i mean i have to say i just preferred it to the <laughs> the, the regular burger um i mean so you know 70 percent meat but it, it had it, you know that the, just those little steps actually make a significant difference in terms of that that cut cut down on on you know what we are are consuming so i, I think those sort of things you know what whitbread is doing in particular in terms of that energy piece and the green bonds in terms of finance all of these shifts are are taking us in the right direction and uh, we've we've got to speed it up some i think to hit the targets we need to hit for 2050 and you know um, um, it's, it comes to something when we can say um, quite sincerely that the UK is a world leader in this at the moment and uh, you know we, we are um, ahead of virtually any other major country well all other major countries actually in terms of getting those targets if we indeed um, deliver them so we, we're further along the track I think which is um, you know, um, good for us and I think is going to position us well um, as as this moves up everybody's agenda over the next decade or two and from blue sky thinking uh, let's move ourselves to somewhere where there are perhaps some darker clouds at the moment by taking a closer look at what's going on in the german hotel market uh, still i think largely closed down and um, some some kind of broader economic issues government changes and so on in uh, in germany um, and of course within the hotel market fears that there's going to be further stress to come as uh, over the next few months as uh, hotels come out of lockdowns and start to open up again there may well be some good staycation business to be had through the summer but will everyone make it to the summer um, and indicative of what we might see more of uh, has been a workout that's just uh, resolved itself to do with some uh, hotels in Germany that a portfolio that Invesco had where the uh, the hotel operator which of course was leasing the buildings um, went into liquidation and they've had to uh, find out uh, find themselves a new operator um, I spoke with uh, David Kellett at uh, Invesco and uh, they've, they've really turned out quite nicely from this whole process which was probably a bit traumatic at the beginning but they've uh, ended up with uh, Westmont as their operators and with a slightly different arrangement so instead of a straight lease they're now they've now got a turnover based a rental agreement and the pair are much more locked in together in terms of uh, aligning their interests uh, with the with the properties going forward so uh, and we've already seen um, Vienna House for example drop a lot of its properties in Germany and nearby territories um, we've already seen Whitbread winning uh, additional properties from one or two slightly stressed leased operators in Germany um, Andrew what's your feeling are we kind of going to be seeing plenty more of this yeah it's always a tricky one i think uh, predicting this is great deal flow and as we've seen um I, I, the the pricing so far um we're not seeing much no. in the way of 
distressed prices. We've seen lots of distress, but not distressed pricing. And a lot of that is down to the fact that this swell of investors are waiting to um, to seize on the opportunities. Uh, I think the really good news piece in this is that the German obsession with fixed leases is beginning to mm. adjust a bit, and we're, we're you know we're seeing a, a little bit of turnover linkage in there which i think is critical and that will help that will help the appetite of um certainly of maybe the big brands um you know look at reconsider what they're going to be doing there now um i don't think that any of the big brands are going to be interested in in turnover releases uh, um, even if they are turnover related um, and I don't think the um, the investors in, in the real estate owners in Germany are going to be interested in doing anything other than leases mm. so I think we're going to carry on with this standoff between the big hotel and the big brands and yeah. and yeah. the owners yeah no exactly um, so I mean you know the, how do you un unlock that well maybe the third party operator thing um, so that the, the third party operators take on the on the lease and then they have a franchise i think we'll see a lot more of that kind of thing um i suspect actually what we'll see is a lot more regional um plays or or direct owner operator plays such as such as mm. uh, whitbread so i mean if if scandic comes back to life in 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 terms of being a, you know an aggressive um, um growth company again which is which i, th I think it's good you know more likely than not i mean i think they're certainly going to be one of the participants motel one the like companies like that i think um as well and who knows um you know wazoo with its ownership of um steigenberger mm. is in a good place if if it can um you know i'm hearing mixed reports um you know i, th I think they're licking their wounds a bit well it's unlucky timing wasn't it to yeah. say the least yeah. um, very unlucky timing um so um so we'll see how they 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 take that one forward but i think there's certainly opportunity but i i don't think we're going to have a uh, dramatic uh, turnaround and uh, you know e even though I, I suspect the market in germany is going to be well it, it clearly is going to be slower to pick up than the uk's um the disaster they're having with uh, the vaccine rollout at the moment is going to make it probably beyond the summer before they're able to properly open stuff up again um, maybe things will get better uh, i hope they do but um, it's not looking great so there's probably going to be even more pain there than than, than in the uk they're going to be end up being in 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 stuck for longer i think which is the ultimate cause of any problems because the rents aren't being paid and you'll have owners in in serious problems as well so um that that there's going to be a, um, a a lot of um, issues to resolve um but i don't think they'll necessarily be resolved at a no. bargain basement price now the next thing we're going to look at is the uh, is ipos in the hospitality sector of course um airbnb floated at the back end of last year and the latest company to announce they look like they're going to float is um, the luxury hotel group Rosewood. They belong to a, uh, a Asian conglomerate called New World Development. Um, but it looks like the route they may be going to choose will be to float in uh, in the US by means of a SPAC or a special purpose acquisition company. SPACs are big news at the moment in the US. 
uh, basically you set yourself up a, a list a company listed company you get your investors on board you get a wad of money then you go looking for someone to buy and you basically reverse that company into yours and hey presto it's listed it's a quicker and easier route to a listing than going the official ipo route because you're not required to uh, go through such levels of due diligence as you would otherwise have to do. So Rosewood uh, looks like it's going to list in order to really scale up uh, and grow its portfolio a lot quicker. Um, it could well get itself perhaps up to the sort of scale of some of the other luxury brands um, of perhaps 100 properties globally, um, whereas at the moment they've just got 35 open. Uh, sorry, yes, uh, and could also be followed later this year perhaps by Soho House the uh, members club that runs hotels and various other um, properties around the place that's also potentially looking for a listing and again they think they will may well do it in the US so plenty of activity uh, and plenty more money uh, washing about on the markets to help fund these uh, these growth stocks yeah there is um i mean the the spac thing is quite interesting it's a lot of pressure um for the london stock market to uh liberalize its rules to uh, make it easier for spacs and also um, in terms of the shareholder requirements um is particularly this is more geared around uh sort of tech companies so shareholders um so some um, have dual listing structures so that you have some shareholders with more votes than others which is a big tech company thing so founders can retain control of their their um, baby um so uh, this pressure may lead to to london adjusting its rules to allow a uh, the odd you know this is an opportunity to come come for uh uh for hospitality companies whether probably too late for soho house but maybe one's coming coming um along in in a few months later um now it all took me back chris i had a bit of a history um <laughs> yeah. lesson going and i wanted to go go dive back into uh um what i wrote about earlier on in my career it was back in 1996 there were six ipos in in the um on the london stock exchange back then mm. i i covered um it all followed the granada um takeover of forte which uh, closed in january 96 um and then we had these six ipos and um fundraisings one was actually a fundraising r- rather than an ipo um but that was as good as it got in terms of the hospitality sector we've never had a year like it um since um and it always puzzled me you know here we are in this great growth sector why hasn't it gone why aren't more people tapping what is the cheapest source of capital um at least in efficient markets theory anyway the stock market why aren't more people listing and it has always been a bit of a puzzle in fact rather than people listing most of my career has been writing about people coming off the market and so those six those six that listed um they privatized um so it was simply the case that um, in private hands the real estate could leverage up and therefore be more valuable than if they were in you just had one in the last week so that the america been taken private yeah well indeed yeah yeah absolutely and uh, you know i suspect we'll see a bit more of that but what we haven't seen is is people coming to market subsequent to that now i wonder i just 
you know and, and even the publicly quoted ones that haven't actually delisted i think something like intercontinental hotels um they've flogged off 10 mm. billion of real estate and um, they've shrunk so we've had this ever shrinking sort of listed company thing um going on um which is quite bizarre in a sector as i say which is a huge growth sector why is that going on pretty odd um maybe i i, I don't know i'm just I'm floating this one <laughs> um in terms of ipos um um, but but maybe um, with operational real estate where we've got this explicit linkage between the opco and the propco um, maybe there will be more understanding now towards um, um, real estate companies um, who are wanting to list as as opcos as well um, so perhaps we will see a shift and we, you will find more appetite in the public markets for for operational real estate companies and hospitality um, companies so we'll see but i think it's a possibility I guess if, if the rosewood uh, float goes ahead as planned then it'll be a good test for us to watch how the markets receive it yeah no indeed um yeah actually is you know why are you listing a hong kong company in in new york <laughs> which is interesting isn't it it says a lot about where we are in terms of the the, the global yeah, environment absolutely. right now um anyway so it's uh, and on that note we'll go and check our share prices and we'll speak to you again soon bye for now